Today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I believe it was my sophomore year of high school that I got invited to the senior prom. It was a big deal. This senior girl named Lynn invited me to prom. And I thought I was the biggest stud when that happened, that she would invite a sophomore to the senior prom, um, but not so much because it turned out, I think I can say this, it turned out to be one of the most awkward nights of my life. So let me tell you about it. <laughs> Understand, I grew up in a, um, I, I grew up in a church going home. I didn't know Christ, didn't understand the gospel. But I grew up a pretty good kid, pretty good moral kid. And so this prom night that I got invited to started with pictures at her home, as most prom nights start. And, uh, and so we go, and I didn't really know her that well, and I didn't know her friends. But we're all sitting there taking pictures. So that, that kind of started the awkwardness and the insecurity, um, tending to be somewhat of a shy guy. Then we get in the limousine, and we're going to take the limousine to dinner, where we're going to eat before we go to prom. Now understand, up until this point, I, I never had touched alcohol. And we're in this limousine, and Lynn and her friends decide to break out a bottle of champagne to just start the night off. And so wanting to be cool and not wanting to um, disrupt things, I had my glass of champagne. And it tasted awful. And it upset my stomach. And so we arrive at the place for dinner, so now I'm already feeling awkward, insecure. My stomach is upset. We walk into this restaurant that's on the Intercoastal Waterway in South Florida. Um, really nice restaurant. We walk in, we sit down, I open the menu, and my, my eyes about bulged out of my head because the prices of the food, it was just astronomical. Now understand, I grew up in a family where we didn't go out to eat much. And if we really splurged and went out to eat, it was Sonny's Barbecue. Okay, So I'm looking at the prices going, I don't think I can eat tonight. And I think I ended up getting an appetizer. It's probably what I got for dinner. That's all I had to, to pay for. Then we moved from dinner and back in the limousine to the place of the prom. And then we, we were at prom. And of course, I am, I'm sitting at the table, too embarrassed to go fast dance. 
feeling very insecure and awkward. And then, of course, the slow dances where I had to dance with my date, who I barely knew, was even incredibly awkward. So I hope you're feeling it by now, that night many, many years ago, how incredibly awkward it was. Here's why it was awkward. I had no idea how to relate to the world around me that night. I had no clue. And so it led to a night that was awkward, a night of great insecurity, a night I couldn't wait till it was over and I could get back home. Oftentimes, I think that's a picture of the Christian's experience in relating to the world. Christians can be awkward. And I'll just say that to those of you that maybe are here and are not a follower of Christ. Or maybe those of you who are here and, and you're fairly new to church, you, you, you might agree that sometimes Christians are just awkward. We don't know how to relate to the world around us. We're overly fussy, whatever it may be. Paul in this passage is writing to the Corinthian believers, trying to help them understand how to relate to the unbelieving world around them. How to relate. And he does it by, by emphasizing Three things, the goal of relating, the actual practice of relating, and then the motivation for it. So let's start with the goal of relating to the world around you. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, this is the second time that Paul uses this phrase, all things are lawful. The first time he uses it is back in chapter six, where he says, all things are lawful for me, not all are helpful. Then he says, all things are lawful for me. I will not be enslaved to anything. But the focus in chapter six, as he talks about this concept of Christian freedom is, how should I deal with Christian freedom and how it affects me? But when we get over to chapter 10 here, a couple things change. You'll note that first of all, he says, not all things are lawful. He drops the for me in chapter 10. And then the second part of the phrase, which in chapter six is, I won't be enslaved by anything, transforms, transforms here in chapter 10 to, not all things build up. So what he's doing in chapter 10 is talking about this concept of Christian freedom, but how it affects others and how we relate to others. So chapter six is about how it affects me. Chapter 10 here is about how it affects others. Right, how I relate to others in this area. And, and what is the goal of relating to the world around you? It's to build others up. It's to build up. That word build in the, in the, in the Greek, it's a word for home. He's giving the imagery here of, of building a home. And for those of you that are home builders, you know how that works, right? You build a foundation, you frame up the house, you put the roof on, you put the siding on, and then you, you finish the inside. But the point is you're building a house, you're not tearing it down. And so number one goal that Paul starts with as we relate to the world around us is to build up, not tear down. The world is already torn down and is being torn down by sin. That started in Genesis three. That's where the tear down began. And it's, and it's unraveling in front of us. 
Paul says your goal as you relate to the world is not to tear down. Sin is tearing it down. Your goal is to build up. To build up. Think about your friends. Think about your coworkers, your classmates, your teammates. As you relate to people, the goal is to build up, not tear down. Just north of Jacksonville, there's this, a beautiful island. It's right, right near Kings Bay called Cumberland Island. If you've never been, it is worth the trip. Beautiful island. You can only access it by boat. And as you tour this island and you, you take in the natural beauty and there's a ton of history, one of the striking features on the island is this dilapidated mansion. It's a mansion that's in ruins. It's got ivy growing on it. Walls are half broken down. In 1959, it was destroyed by fire and they believe likely by arson. And so as you look at this dilapidated mansion in ruins, there's two things you see. On the one hand, you see the beauty of what used to be a 59-room mansion. On the other hand, you see the destruction. Every person you come into contact with in this world is a shattered image of God. And that means that every person you come into contact with, you see two things at work. On the one hand, you see the beauty of the image of God. Oh yes, shattered deeply, but you see remnants of that beauty. And on the other hand, you see the destruction and the horror of sin and what it's done. Paul says the goal in relating to people is to build up, is to rebuild to rebuild, to be part of, to be used to rebuild this person or these people into the image of God. Now, how do, you, how do you build others up? It brings us to the second part of the goal here. Paul starts this passage with build up. He ends the passage in verse 33 with that they may be saved. That they may be saved. So he starts with build others up and he ends with bringing them to the only one that can build them up. You see, bringing them to the one who can save them, deliver them. Well, what from? What are they saved? What are you saved or delivered from? You're saved and delivered from that which is tearing you down, which is sin. Incidentally, this is why the approach of, and this is why this is a great, when you think about the goals, that these two have to go together. Because if you just think about building up as encouraging people, trying harder, you know, try harder techniques, or moral improvement, or religious behaviors, those don't work by themselves. And the reason they don't is because those give people a picture of what they should be, but they don't deal with the problem of what is tearing them down and keeping them from becoming that. And so try harder and be better and, and, and get your religious behaviors in place. It won't build them up because it doesn't deal with what's tearing them down which is sin. It's like filling up a bucket full of water that has a hole in the bottom. You're pouring water into this bucket and it's draining out the bottom and you're getting nowhere. When we talk about building up, the only way that you can build someone up is ultimately taking them to the one who built them in the first place, the one who created them in the first place and the one who can take away, deliver them, save them from what is tearing them down. And so the goal of relating to the world around you, the world of people, is to build up by bringing them to Jesus. Just simply put, 
Build them up by bringing them to Jesus so that Jesus can take away what's tearing them down, sin, and can restore the image of God that's shattered, but in them. To build them up, not to tear down. We see this in the Gospels. Think about the four men. You remember the four men who brought their buddy on a, on a mat, dropped him through the roof and put him before Jesus? Right? They, they, they were desperate. They brought this man to the only one who they believed could heal him and deliver him. Or the woman at the well, she meets Jesus. Jesus transforms her. What does she do? She runs back to her town and she says to the whole town, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. The goal of relating to the world around you and the unbelieving world around you is to build others up by bringing them to Jesus, the one who can take away and deliver them from that which is tearing them down. Now, what does this look like in practice? So if we've looked at the goal, what does this actually look like in practice? Paul's gonna lay out here two very different scenarios with two very opposite behaviors all with the same goal of building up by bringing them to Jesus. Now look at the first scenario in verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, what is Paul talking about there? Well, we're back to this whole idea of meat sacrificed to idols that he launched in chapter eight. And the reality was in first century Corinth, the highest quality meat, the best meat you could buy, most likely came from pagan temples where they would be sacrificed. Someone would bring an animal to a pagan temple for some false god. The priest would take the animal, sacrifice it, burn parts of the animal, and then take the meat and sell it to the local market. And so, and so there's believers in Corinth saying, well, hey, I show up at this market. Should I be asking questions about this meat that I'm about to buy? Was it sacrificed to an idol? Was it sacrificed to a false god? And what's Paul's answer? He says, no. Don't ask those questions. Just eat it, buy it, eat it. Why? Verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's a quote from Psalm 24. He's saying everything belongs to the Lord. So eat it, enjoy it. Don't don't ask awkward questions. Don't put unnecessary barriers up. And engage freely. Engage with the world around you freely, what Paul's saying. And all he's doing is following the example of Jesus. That's what he means in, in verse one of chapter 11. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. Well, what was Christ's example? He ate with everyone. He ate with everyone. He ate with the super religious holy Pharisees. He ate with the most notorious sinners of the day. He mixed it up. And he even proclaimed in Mark 7 that all foods were clean, dealing with the same issue that these Corinthian believers were struggling with. He says in Mark chapter 7, as he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, all foods are clean. Then he says this, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus says, listen, you can't put a piece of meat in you that's gonna defile you. I fulfilled all the ceremonial food laws of the Old Testament. I fulfilled them. So eat, 
can't, his, his deeper point is this. Sin doesn't start out there and make its way in. Sin starts in your heart and makes, it, makes its way out. And parents, I'll just, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. You have got to get hold of that. There is wisdom in certain ways that you shelter your kids, absolutely, to keep them you know, at age-appropriate times from certain sins. But you do that understanding that's not where sin is coming from in your children. Sin comes from inside their heart. It is there. The brokenness is there. That's why we talk about shepherding the heart. If all you do is shelter and think that's gonna work, you're missing where the sin's coming from. That's what Jesus is getting at. But his point is, he says, I've made all things clean, so eat without raising questions on ground of, of conscience. I, I think Paul's saying here, it, it's good meat. The highest quality meat comes from the pagan temples in the marketplace. Eat it. It's good. It's what we call common grace. You know what common grace is? Common grace says this, all truth is God's truth, whether it comes from the mouth of a believer or an unbeliever. And all good is God's good whether it comes from the hands of a believer or the hands of an unbeliever. So Paul says, eat. You should have no conscience issues as you eat this meat. Enjoy it. His point is engage, engage with the world around you freely. Engage freely. I have a friend, one of my friends, she's a follower of Christ and was reaching out to someone in her workplace with the gospel and trying to figure out or understand more of, of this woman's life and her context and her culture. So she decided she was going to go see the movie Moonlight, which came out in 2016. And it's the story of a young man in Miami who grew up poor and gay. And the person she was reaching out to grew up in Miami, right, in the homosexual world. She goes to the movie, and in God's providence... That woman was there, same movie, with her wife. And afterwards, she had the most amazing conversation with this woman. Now, that movie is not gonna, it is not gonna meet the watch criteria of focus on the families plugged in. It's not, it's rated R, and it's rated R for a reason. The point is this. With wisdom, yes, with wisdom. And that's not a movie you take your children to, okay? But the freedom to engage this world, to engage freely and to understand that there is redemption written all over this world, to take the movie world for an example, right? The reason that every movie to some degree has a redemptive theme is because movie writers, movie producers, movie directors are shattered images of God. The image of God is in everyone to varying degrees, depending on how much we suppress it. And so that's why movies have redemptive themes to it. The point is to engage this world freely. Don't withdraw, don't separate, don't create awkward or unnecessary barriers. That's the point Paul's making here. Engage freely and don't make unnecessary barriers on the ground of conscience. Now, that's the first scenario. Paul gives a second scenario that's very different in the very opposite behavior. Look at verse 27. Verses 27 to the beginning of 29. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, 
Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Okay, so far, same counsel. Unbeliever invites you over for dinner. Don't ask questions about the meat. Don't ask questions about the food. Just eat it. But then verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Now, what, what's happening here? Wait a minute, Paul, you just said eat. Now you're saying don't eat. Why? What's going on? Well, the assumption here is that, the, that perhaps the host uh, uh, knows that you're a Christian and so says to you, right, this, this food has been offered in sacrifice to be sensitive to your Christian values. You know, in the first century, the Jewish kosher food laws were well known. And so perhaps this host believes that Christianity is some derivative of Judaism. And so out of sensitivity says, hey, this food's been offered in sacrifice. Paul says, if that happens, you don't eat. Why? Because if you eat, you're gonna be violating your own belief and values in front of this unbeliever. It will be a blatant act of hypocrisy, of, of, of a discrepancy between belief and practice, right? Or at least from the perspective of this unbeliever. So Paul says, don't eat. You know, hypocrisy, and I've said this before, it is one of the, the, the major reasons why non-believers reject the gospel and reject Christianity. Now, we are... Everyone's a hypocrite to some example, to some degree. That's just reality. Nobody's perfect. But what Paul's getting at here in this situation is if you eat, right, you're only furthering that problem, right, of a, of a blatant act of hypocrisy. And before the unbelieving world, there's a distinction between light and darkness, between belief and unbelief and the practices that follow. And so here you have two very different behaviors. Eat and don't eat with the absolute same goal, and that is to build others up by bringing them to Christ. You see what Paul's saying here? In the one case, he says the best way you can lead them to Christ is to eat, to eat. Don't be awkward. Don't ask questions on the grounds of conscience that just gets weird and fussy. Just eat. That's the best way you can lead them to Christ. On the other hand, he says in, in the other scenario, the best way you can lead them to Christ is to not eat, to avoid hypocrisy. So there's a genuineness to your faith. Let me try to give you a really gritty, granular example of this, right? And my, my purpose in sharing this is to try to get you to think, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us in this world today as we relate to the unbelieving world? So when we moved into our neighborhood years ago, I very quickly, by some, some guys on the street, got invited to play poker at the clubhouse in our neighborhood. They said, hey, come play poker. Um, on, they do it once a month. We do it once a month. It's a $5 buy-in. We play with quarters. And I was like, awesome. Okay, I can go play poker with these guys, $5 buy-in. It's the equivalent of going out to dinner with them. Okay, in fact, that's even cheaper. Two buy-ins would equal a dinner with them, right? $10 but to spend hours with them. And I did several times. And it was amazing to get to know these guys. The guy who led the charge on the poker gathering 
who lived on my street, uh, several years ago moved away to a different neighborhood in Jacksonville. Lost touch with him. Several weeks ago, right uh, before my son's football practice, I see this guy. And uh, he was there picking up his son from his football practice. And so I meet, we meet him, talk, catch up. Hey, how are you doing? Great. And he says, hey, Keith, you want to come play poker with us? I say, yeah, oh, you're still playing poker. Goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do it at, at my clubhouse in my new neighborhood now. But some of the guys from your neighborhood still come. And he named the guys, a couple on my street. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. He said, yeah, it's great, man. Hey, the buy-in's like $50 to $100. And he said, um, and he said, Keith, man, there's some nights I walk away with $700. And I went, okay. You know, my mind's turning. I'm like, okay, big, big difference here, right? Big difference. Years ago, it was just kind of innocent, fairly inexpensive, but just guys hanging out, having a good time together. That has turned into some pretty serious gambling. And so I said, you know, no, thanks, but, but no. Now, why did I do that? Well, number one, to be truly honest, I don't have $100 to throw away once a month on poker night. But you know what the bigger reason is why I wouldn't do that? Even if one of you said, hey, Keith, I want you to go do that. I'll give you $100. I wouldn't do it. Why? Because it would be a poor witness. It'd be a poor witness to Christ. So I choose not to do it. There's an example, and you have examples in your life. Paul says in some situations, eat. Other situations, don't eat. But the same goal is true for both, and that is to build others up by bringing them to Christ. And so Paul says, engage freely. Engage this world freely without creating awkwardness and asking questions on the ground of conscience. It just gets weird and fussy. He says, just engage the world freely. But then he says, but represent Christ faithfully. Engage freely, but represent Christ faithfully, right? And you have to work that out because each situation is different. But those two together, engage freely and represent Christ faithfully, right? Both of those are lending towards the goal of building others up by bringing them to Christ. So how should you relate to the world around you? The goal is to build others up to build the body of Christ up, to bring them to Christ. The practice, engage freely, but represent Christ faithfully. So engage freely, don't withdraw, don't separate, but oh, be wise because you wanna be a witness for Christ and a good, authentic witness for Jesus Christ. Now, what's the motivation for all of this? Simply put, the glory of God, the good of your neighbor the glory of God, the good of your neighbor. Look at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the highest and most critical motivation when it comes to relating to the world around you. Why? Because you can seek the good of your neighbor for selfish reasons. You can seek the good of your neighbor to impress your other friends, to impress your friends at church. Hey, look what I'm doing to reach out. Or you can seek the good of your neighbor and you can exercise your freedom and engage freely and say, hey, look what I'm doing. Look how strong my conscience is. Look what I'm free to do. 
Right? You, you can seek the good of your neighbor in a way that's selfish. You know, we are, we are glory hogs by nature of the fall. We are glory hogs. And Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whether you eat or not eat, whether you engage freely, represent wherever it is, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God for his glory and his honor. And then that leads into the second motivation, which is the good of your neighbor. And the good of your neighbor, this, this is sprinkled throughout this passage. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Verses 29 to 30, awkward verses. Let me tell you what's going on here. He asked, Paul asked two questions, right? For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Paul is asking rhetorical questions here, not from his point of view. He's asking these questions from the point of view of the strong in Corinth that are saying, why should my freedom be restricted by someone else's weak conscience? That's basically what, what Paul is saying. He's taking their position. Or, hey, everything belongs to the Lord, so if I give thanks and eat the meat, then what's the big deal? Why do I get critiqued and denounced? You know Paul's answer? His answer is because you're enslaved to the good of your neighbor. That's why. You are enslaved to the good of your neighbor. And therefore, verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's saying, give no offense to religious people, irreligious people, church people. Why? The gospel's already offensive enough. You realize that? The gospel says you're bad and you need help and you can't help yourself. That's offensive. Paul's saying, don't add to that offense. Don't add to the offense of the gospel by, on the, one, on the one hand, in the engage freely category, by being awkward, asking questions, being fussy, be, you know, just don't do that. Don't, don't create more offense. Or in the other scenario of represent Christ faithfully, don't be a hypocrite. Be authentic and true to your relationship with Christ. Right? Be a good witness. Don't add to the offense of the gospel. Don't seek your own advantage, verse 33. I love how one commentator explains verse 33. Listen to what he says. Paul is not trying to be a people pleaser in a way that would amount to compromising the gospel. But in indifferent matters such as food, he is more than happy to be socially easy to get along with. Engage freely. Represent Christ faithfully. Here's the question I want to leave you with. What would it look like in your life to be enslaved to the glory of God and to the good of your neighbor? What would it look like to be enslaved to the glory of God and to the good of your neighbor? We have a picture of it. We have a picture of it. Verse one of chapter 11. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ gave up everything for your good, even to the point of being nailed to a cross. 
Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are a people that so often are enslaved to our own good. And yet you call us to be enslaved to the good of our neighbor and to your glory, to seek the good of our neighbor, to engage freely as the people who have been redeemed, but at the same time to represent Christ faithfully. Father, I pray and we pray that we all would be recipients of many invitations that we see Paul talk about in this passage. That our lives would be constantly mingling and intersecting with unbelievers. And that we would be able to share the common ground of pain and sin because that is our common ground. Father, that you would give us the boldness to relate, to listen, to interact, to represent you, Christ, faithfully, and to wash your Holy Spirit, do a mighty work in those around us, in those you've put in our lives. Father, make us a people, make us a community that is enslaved to your glory and to the good of our neighbor. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.